Hello and welcome to the Points of Brew podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Points of Brew podcast with me, Stephen Carter. And this week I'm joined by a man who's used to calling the shots behind the microphone and asking the questions. It's Ben from the Tanked Up podcast. How are you doing, Ben? You okay? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm very good. I'm very good. Thank you for asking. Thank you for thank you for joining. It's well, thank, uh, thank you for having me on. No, no, you're very welcome. So, uh, for anyone who has has noticed uh, my Instagram feed, I've uh, obviously appeared on a couple of podcasts with yourself recently. So it makes a yes. a change for you to be a a guest as opposed to a as opposed to a host. So, uh, so no, I appreciate obviously the the fact that I've been on your show a couple of times and that you've uh, you've joined me. Uh, join me this week to, to be on the show it's it's great to have you on board so uh, how have you been recently have you have you been uh, enjoying some more of a lockdown recently oh no i never enjoyed lockdown whilst it was whilst <laughs> it was going on um i unfortunately worked the entire way through it oh, uh, wow. i say unfortunately it's not unfortunate mm-hmm. i enjoy what i do so uh, i i just work for myself so i just carried on as if nothing had happened, got to sit at home and work as I do every day for the last three years. So apart from having the, the wife and the little around mm. a little bit more, uh, nothing really changed for me. Yeah, business as usual, pretty much then, eh? Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> I, I suppose drank maybe a little bit more, but not during the work day, obviously. <laughs> Just as this small disclaimer, I did not drink whilst working, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think everyone's the same though. It's, it's you find it hard to resist when you. I mean, you probably more so than anybody working working from home more so than anybody else anyway. But when you're at home and you you see the beers in the fridge or you see the beer fridge and you're there constantly as a as a sort of a, a nagging reminder that they're always there. It, it's hard. It's even harder to resist temptation, isn't it? When you when you're in and out, in and about the house all the time. So uh, so yeah, yeah, everyone's. I think everyone's there on the same uh, same guilty. Uh, guilty streak there of drinking more than what they would normally and mm. um, me myself drinking now um with with a beer which it's it's almost law isn't it really with when you're recording a podcast that you have to have a beer so uh I, so, yeah, I mean every almost every podcast i uh i have guested on um i have drank even if it's not a beer podcast it's just what i do now <laughs> so it feels weird to to sit and uh, and discuss either beer or, or video games yeah um Without a beer these days, mm, they go hand in hand perfectly, don't they? So it's almost you get in that routine. I must admit, the last the last show that we were on when uh, when Lucy wasn't drinking, when she was drinking water. I mean, I've done it. I think I've done it one once or twice. I've recorded my own, um, and you're not drinking a beer. Mm. It, just, it just doesn't feel right. There's just something about it that just doesn't seem right. When you're talking about beer, it's like obligatory that you need to be drinking it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, but yes. Uh, so, uh, like I say, I think everyone's uh, guilty on on that front of of drinking more during uh, during lockdown. But I think we're at least we're uh, hopefully anyway getting to the to the back end of it now. When and the last show that we uh, that we spoke when I came on with, with yourself is when um, when I'd just been to York for the on the on the Saturday that lockdown had eased and not mm. last weekend. The weekend before we went to Manchester and stayed over and and again I had a. A similar experience in Manchester as in York, thankfully. Uh, people seem to, generally speaking, be behaved. Um, we went we went to the the Trafford Centre on the the Sunday though, and that was a bit a bit busier than I'd quite like it to be. Um, but that's just because people can't follow one way signs, um, even though there's signs <laughs> everywhere, all over the floor, the walls. There's 
announcements over the tannoy to please follow the one-way system, but people are still, you know, going against the flow of, of bodies and weaving in and out of people and invading your personal space. So uh, so that was a bit, bit kind of your anxiety levels creeping up and up and up a little yeah. bit more as you're trying to, to dodge people. So overall, I enjoyed it, though. The sort of the crafty places that we went to, so like Beatniks, Northern Monk, um, and uh, Bundabus, they, they were very conscious and aware of people being distanced and having tables set apart from one another and wiping the tables as soon as people had mm. left so that that was good and we um, we called to the old grocers which is a, a micro pub in in Pontrat, near to myself over the weekend and they were the same we were in there for a couple of hours tables well spaced and as soon as we got up to leave dave the guy who owns it and was behind the bar he was straight up to to wipe the tables with disinfectant and stuff and obviously that's that's what you want to see you don't take it as a sort of a as a you know, any sort of disrespect or anything yes. like beforehand, yeah. you think, are you trying to say I'm dirty? But now it's obviously, <laughs> I think you almost frown at people if they're not taking those uh, those precautions or measures to to make sure people are comfortable more than anything. Um, so have you have you ventured out recently or have you still been tucked away indoors? Um, I, we've been out, uh, we've been out once and mm. um, we, we basically went for a, a long walk down mm-hmm. a... Um, to a nature reserve just outside of Bristol. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the little one got to have a little paddle in the, in the river that was there. It was lovely and quiet. We came across maybe 10, 12 people max on our kind of hour and a half uh, wander up and down. Uh, but mm. afterwards across the road from, uh, from the car park uh, is a, is a pub. It is, I, I cannot remember the name of it, but it is a green King uh, chain <laughs> pub basically right uh i i didn't drink because i was driving and it yeah. was at this time i think it was about half past 12 one o'clock roughly um but we were really hungry so we wanted to go for some food but uh, hats off to all of the staff there they're all in their ppe uh, they've mm. got their one-way system out they've moved around you know exactly the same as, as your experience they were cleaning tables they were directing people sort of the correct way around places no one was too close. And I've been uh, definitely at the end of um, the spectrum of not really wanting to go in anywhere at the moment still. Yeah. Uh, so I was not um, reluctant to go in. I think when we got there and I could see that uh, the way that they were dividing things, so people that only wanted to drink were sat outside, people yeah. who wanted to eat were sat on the tables indoors. Uh, that mm. may change if it was, you know, hammering down with rain or something. But this was one of the mm. days last week, where, uh, last weekend, where it was actually nice. Um, so they seem to have a good system in place. Um, yeah. We we still um, everything was was brought to the table. You know, we didn't go to the bar or anything. They did have a a little placard or A4 sheet on the wall, which said that you can sign up to an app. And order everything through that. So actually, mm. you only have to encounter a human when they bring your food or your drinks over. You don't even have to order yeah. through them. No. Uh, we didn't do that. Sometimes it's nice to chat to your server um, mm-hmm. to know, kind of. Even though I wasn't drinking, I still kind of asked what beers were on. Pretty standard, uh, a Green King pub kind of beers, uh, which didn't didn't matter that I was on the lemonade really. Uh, so it was kind of, you know, it was just nice. It was more of a, it felt like a slight step towards normality. You know, it's, yeah. it's one of those where, um, 
the little one is old enough now that, uh, and has been for sort of, you know, for the last year, really, where we can go on a nice walk and then go and sit in the pub afterwards. And she's more than happy because a lot of these places have little activity sheets, coloring in stuff, mm. and they'll give you pencils and things like that. Uh, and this place did, a, they did have an activity sheet, which obviously is one sheet, which you can take with you. Um, it's not being reused by anyone, but we had to, didn't have any pens or anything. So I guess they don't want those sorts of things, you know, yeah. stuff that people are going to touch all the time and have to, to wipe down and clean. So even in those smaller details, they're still doing lots of stuff to make sure everything is um, as easy for the patrons as possible, mm. um, but to make it easy for them as well. You know, they don't want to wipe down crayons every time some kid uses them. Yeah, well, this is it, and it's it's like kind of the more you think about it, there's more things that, like, it's all the little things, like you say, like that, that shared pencils for kids, and then like salt mm. and pepper shakers and condiments and things like that. You know, at restaurants yeah. and dining places, it's like you don't think about it until it comes across, and it's quite easy to see how they'd forget these things that they need to have in place, like you say, because it's just a given that, you know, if, for example, you know, like um a Weatherspoons or something, they notoriously just have baskets of condiments where it's just bottles yes. of sauces and things like that. It's like they've got rid of them and got sachets and things, but other places might not be able to do that straight away, but quite could quite easily forget that, oh, crap, we need to do that. And, you know, and like wiping chairs as well as tables and all those mm. little things. And, and I have noticed that more places have got disposable menus rather than sort of like just yeah. a general, you know, here's a menu that is covered in sticky bits of, drinking food that just gets bunged on a sort of a you know a, a desk or something and shared out between patrons sort of ad infinitum mm. but and much like yourself the the thing is that i've noticed is places have sheets and signs where they've got a qr code saying you can order online and you literally just point your camera at it and your phone and it takes you straight to a website or a page where you can see the menu and order straight from there so places have geared up for it quite quickly and i'm surprised how quickly they have actually kind of shifted towards that model and being able to do so because obviously this whole incentive that's coming out as of august this sort of eat out to help out they'll they'll need this because people you know restaurants yeah. and pubs and tap rooms alike are inevitably going to get hammered with you know people trying to take advantage of this sort of 50 percent off that they're going to get so it's good to see that places have been proactive and taking it on board yeah. and and doing it and limiting it but it's very much a case of that we will go out with the intention of going to somewhere. But if we don't feel comfortable looking in with the number of people that are already in or whilst we're there, we're kind of a bit like, I don't think they're taking it very seriously. Then we will, we will leave. Cause like you say, yeah. all, albeit that yes, we are getting back to normal and obviously face masks have come out as of last week, mandatory in shops and things. It's, it still doesn't feel right. You know, and mm. in some ways, and and it's you, feel, you find yourself questioning everything and everybody, and you don't yes. want to have yeah, to, you don't you don't want to have to do that. But it's it still just seems like the new normal at the moment is that I'm not I'm not quite comfortable sitting next to somebody that I don't know or in a confined space or indoors. You know, if it's outdoors, it's a different. You know, to a certain extent, it's a different kettle of fish because obviously you're in a and not you're not in a confined space but mm. certainly if if i went to a, a tap room or a, or a bar and i i didn't feel comfortable i would just say look i'm i'm not sure i feel comfortable and would would leave you know because again there's no sort of you know you don't as soon as you walk in you don't have to go you know there's no sort of nothing holding you there once you've walked in say you must order a drink but Absolutely, it's a shame yeah. you know it's a shame that there are, there are still places out there that aren't 
or don't seem to be taking it seriously. But I can understand why you'd you know you'd want to still you know keep yourself safe and your family safe, especially when you've you've got a little and you know it's that's that's the priority is that you look after yourself and it's still very prevalent at the moment, isn't it? You know, it's not it's not gone anywhere. And I think that's the the thing that people need to realise is that this is still an ongoing thing and just because we can go outdoors it's not gotten any worse or any less. Mm. So so we'll uh, we'll see what happens, like I say, when the um when this uh this eat out to help out comes into place and what the what the what the what they're doing in terms of are they still limiting people or are they just going to try and get as many people through the door to, to maximising revenue, which is a cynical way of looking at it, but you, you can't yeah. in some ways blame them, but um, you know, you like to think it uh, it doesn't get to that. But uh, but moving uh, moving on then, with that in mind, Ben, uh, what are we uh, what are we tucking into right now? What we're we drinking? Um, I've just well, I say just opened. I've drank quite a lot of it actually. Um, <laughs> I'm drinking uh, Missing Steps from Left Handed Giant, which oh. is a hazy IPA, six point nine percent. It's got Cryo Citra and Enigma in it. Uh, only canned right at the end of last month, so it's a month old. Uh, right. I, I treated myself to a left-handed giant mixed case which came with a mm. brand new uh glass which was nice Perfect. little one-third size though mm. um which does well when you're drinking the big stouts yeah so on the on the last episode um of tanked up that you appeared on we were discussing um kind of getting in deliveries from different places mm. um and how i'm trying to sort of spread the love around some of the bottle shops and places during lockdown um because i'm i'm not one to order uh six of or or 12 of the same beer um so a lot of the breweries around bristol have been doing you know buy a 12 pack of this and things yeah um and i I really like what left hand giant do i think they're one of the better uk breweries um and as soon as they said oh here's a mixed case with a glass i just like yep instantly i'll instantly buy this (laughs) Uh, and I'm into that. Yeah, this is my last one. So I've drank the rest of them. Um, but yeah, it's called Missing Steps. It does say on the front, choices, choices, with some interesting artwork. Uh, I've got no idea what that means in regard to <laughs> uh, to the name of the beer. Uh, but it's lovely. Lovely, lovely um, citrusy floral hit to it. Very, very light nose. And it's just really, really easy. Even up at that sort of 6.9%, you, you, you mm. cannot tell it is there at all. Yeah, yeah. No, good stuff. I must admit, and I, I don't know if that's kind of because they prioritise sort of more so shipping direct from themselves, but it, it's a brew that I don't see much of up, up north is, is left-handed giant, which is, is a shame because I know they're, like you say, they're held in quite sort of high regard in in, in the scene and obviously for, for locals down, down your way on. Um, so I must admit it's a shame that we don't see more of them up here. Um, yeah, I know they, like a lot of other breweries, um, when kind of... Um, covid hit they uh, they closed the brew pub and mm. i think um a lot of the stuff that they were brewing at the brew pub uh, did feed in um to the brew pub itself some of it was canned and then mm. sold to um to sort of trade they've also got the brewery as well which i think was was mostly trade which did stay open and go through and i have seen them start to creep back into the bottle shops in Bristol mm. uh, and be able, but they definitely did have a moment, I think, where they were brewing a little bit less and just um, just distributing themselves. You know, when they right. when it first kicked off, they um, they changed the role of a load of the people that um, were servers at the brew pub 
and mm. uh, they became bike delivery people. Oh, so if wow. you lived in a certain radius of the brewery, they would deliver your, uh, your online order by bike, um, yeah. which actually resulted in me putting an order in with them. I think that the second day they'd started this up and I got my beers the same day. You can't say fairer than that, can you really? I, exactly. I think it was about a four hour turnaround and I mm. had my beers here, which was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's good that they kind of shifted to that model and also managed to keep people on in to, to a, allow that, but B to keep them yeah. employed as well. You know, that's the, that's the main thing. Cause obviously as we, as we well know, and I'm, and obviously we've discussed and, and you guys have discussed during this whole thing is that a lot of craft breweries are not sort of in that sort of strong position where they've got a lot of money or they've got the financial backing to survive a couple of poor mm. months, you know, they're, they're reliant on that money coming straight in. Um, which obviously kind of feeds into the the subject that we covered when I was last on the show about Cloudwater with the um, the credit sort of lines and things. Yes. So yeah, um, so obviously it's it's good that they were able to do that because without shifting to that that model, then if there's not money coming in, then they probably would have, you know, furlough would have been great for them in terms of it might have kept them having some money coming in. But if it had been a, a ropey few months, then the likelihood of mm-hmm. the sort of the stability of the brewery would have been in question, you know, and come the end of the furlough scheme, which come to the end of it, then it would have been likely that a lot of people would have sadly been, uh, sadly been out of, uh, out of employment, and out of jobs. So, but it's obviously, it's, it's already him, impacted them quite, quite significantly. Like you say, with the brew pub shutting and things, which that mm-hmm. happened uh, sort of a, a couple of months back, I think now, didn't it? The announcement that they made, which is, 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 is a real shame, but I think it's one of the, the few casualties that thankfully have happened, which obviously no one's been, you know, not everyone's invulnerable in to, to what's gone on, but thankfully these sort of things have been few and far between. But again, it is a shame that they have had to had to close the doors because of what's happened. Well, they've they've reopened. Have they reopened? They are, wow. They are oh. Wow. Um, okay. I don't think it's long, been for long. It's only been a, maybe two weeks, something like that. Right. Okay. Um, and I imagine they've they've probably got all the same you know systems in place, kind of as everywhere else now. Mm. Um, oh wow. Uh, they did have it set up in a way. Where, and I, I think this is going to be really hard for people working behind this kind of bar um, in that you're constantly moving around each other. Mm. Uh, and I, from years of, of bar work, kind of in my, um, in my late teens and early 20s, that you just cannot get away from other people when you're working no. behind a bar. That's impossible, isn't it? Even if it's, you know, you've got a meter and a half between the back bar and the front bar, which nowhere will have. That's a ridiculous amount of space. Um, you're, you're still, you know, sliding past people. You've got to lean over people for either specific glasses or to reach various mm. draft pumps or get things out of fridges. And you're just kind of on top of each other all the time. Yeah. So it would be interesting to see the bar in action, whether someone's ordered this drink. So rather than having a server, actually the person is assigned to that sort of two meter part of the bar anything Mm. that's within that part they get put it on a tray it moves along to the next person to get the next thing sort of thing so Mm. uh interesting to see how people are are changing it's it's kind of okay for smaller establishments where maybe there's only one or two people behind a bar but when you've got something that's kind of so long that it normally accommodates six people working behind there Mm. logistically it must be a nightmare yeah no 100 percent and and that's where obviously the kind of their their priority has to shift in terms of the staff 
like you say, having like you said with the with the puppy answer with a full PPE on or at least yep. face masks, you know, in, in in terms of keeping them safe. But obviously, the, the, it's like even then, you know, if they, if they're preparing drinks or serving drinks, just pulling a pint or something, they're touching glassware that a drinker's then going to touch. So even then, they yep. have to make sure that they're and when they're collecting, it's the exact same. So it works. It works both ways. So it, it comes down to them protecting everybody at the end of the day, like you say, because it's impossible to keep people two metres bar behind a bar because it's not even a metre, you know, the, the walkway behind your average bar is not even a metre wide, is it, generally speaking? So it's mm. it's it must be a nightmare to, to do that. But um, a conveyor belt system, similar to, to like that, what you're saying, would be interesting to see how it works and how efficiently it can work as well because yeah. it's, you know, because if you're going in the reverse order to what the sort of the system works, you know, if your drinks go from left to right or the conveyor belt goes from right left to right and then the drinks that somebody's order go from right to left it'll be interesting to see how that then sort of you know it's, it's there's a lot of different things to to think yeah. about and consider isn't there so it must be a bit of a a nightmare but hopefully these these things will get ironed out and, and tweaked and people manage to to overcome them but it's good to good to see that they're um the back open again that's the that's the main thing because they're, mm. they're they're bristol based they're local to you out the left-handed yes giant. they are yeah yeah. Uh, yeah yeah so yeah so it's good because i know there's um sort of a strong or an up and coming craft scene in in Bristol. It's must I must admit somewhere that we we need to go and and visit. Cause it's generally just a place that we we drive past when we're on on the way down to Cornwall. So it'd be good to kind of to stop off and and pay a visit to because it's somewhere I've never actually been before, to be honest. I mean, there's there's so many places here mm. um, to go and drink. Um, so uh, our other um, co-host Lucy on on Tanked Up, um, she's come down a couple of times to Bristol now um, for the Bristol Craft Beer Festival, mm-hmm. um, which you know is is a merry occasion, um, but we always try and go somewhere um, afterwards as well. So we took Lucy to King Street, which is kind of a notorious craft beer uh, street. It's got a small bar, beer emporium, um, Royal Navy Volunteer, Mozilla uh, and Danny and the Duke. Not quite a craft beer bar, but very good for live music. Um, it is just all outdoor seating. It's now pedestrianized as well. Mm. So uh, there's lots of places like that. Plus then left-handed giant just over the road and over the bridge. You've then got all of the bars up Gloucester road as well. A load of bottle shops up there too. It is a very thriving scene in Bristol. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's quite odd for somewhere like that. Cause obviously you're not sort of centralized or close to, I know Bristol is like a main city, obviously like Leeds or something, which is obviously kind of a hub obviously for sort of mm. you know one of the major cities in the country so it's surprising that somewhere like bristol has such a a strong craft scene really but it's good to see that even in sort of smaller towns and cities like that there is such a, a good a good scene for for craft beer so it's it's reassuring that obviously the, the growth is still there um you know for places to to open and for people to go drinking so yeah. so yeah so i've said it's definitely somewhere that we uh, we need to spend sort of like a long weekend down there because it's it's a it's a decent drive to just come for a for a night over for sure. Yeah, it's pure, yeah, yeah, mm, yeah. Because like I say, it's generally the the halfway point for us going to Cornwall, so it's about three three and a half hours for us, I think, from Leeds. So it's a Ooh. decent it's a decent enough drive. So, but yeah, it'd be uh, definitely somewhere for a long weekend rather than a, an overnight for sure. Um, nice. We'll have you. We'll have you, Steve. Come on. Yeah, Dad. yeah, yeah. Well, once we uh, can go out and properly uh, sort of socialise and things, we'll have to uh, arrange a meet up for sure. And uh, yeah, when we're all all able to go out and have a have a 
proper session of it and not have to worry about <laughs> succumbing succumbing to the to the covid so yeah for yes. sure it's it's on the radar definitely definitely Great. right so we'll we'll wrap that section up for now um obviously we've touched upon what you're drinking but we'll uh, we'll check a, a short break there where we'll come back and we'll look at some of the beers that you've had recently that you want you meant to what you want to mention shall i say what i want to mention cool. and then we'll uh, move on from there Right, so welcome back, everyone. So uh, we've spoke about what you are currently drinking, Ben, but we'll uh, we'll jump into what you have drunk recently of of note and and what you want to mention. So, um, what have you what, what have you been supping recently apart from your uh, your mixed case of left handed giant? <laughs> well, one of those beers that um, that came in that mixed case was uh, Mockingbird Dream, okay. which was a collaboration with Daya. Mm. Uh, it I like collaboration beers when you can get an essence of both breweries in them. Yeah. It isn't just, uh, you know, just another beer kind of on the shelf. Mm. Um, Left Under Giant have this very lovely kind of softness to a lot of their beers. Mm-hmm. And Dea, you, I mean, you, anyone who is familiar with Dea will be able to pick them out of a lineup mm-hmm. easily. There's just some lovely juiciness mm-hmm. about, a, about a Dea beer. Uh, and this Mockingbird Dream kind of showcases them both off really well. Mm-hmm. It is a double IPA, and it's just super juicy, really, really lovely with a a nice piney bitter finish. Um, I like a good bit of beer, yeah. uh, especially with a big double IPA. You know, a lot of them you get, which is just a juice bomb, you don't get a huge amount on the end. Um, so I love a double IPA, which gives me a big, big bitter resinous mm. piney finish yeah yeah for sure and like you say the um sort of, i'm guessing sort of like the softness is sort of your water profile that you've got down there which you gen- mm. generally speaking sort of the southern counties have a, a softer water profile whereas up north we generally get told we've got a sort of a more hard or harsh water profile so i'm guessing that that plays into their sort of strength of what you're saying there their beers are generally a bit softer yeah so yeah, so I, I, that always baffles me that you get soft and hard water profiles. But that is <laughs> testament to sort of left-handed giant. But also, if you look at the likes of Pipeline, Verdant, et al., you know they've yes. got a. Again, that's just because they've got such soft water down there that the the beers usually, generally speaking, are very drinkable and very soft and very clean. And you know the very regardless of the strength, like this one that you said there, that it's a double, that it's always easy to easy to go down. Which usually you think it's yeah. a bit sort of not harsh but you kind of get the feeling that it is a bit stronger um than something that generally speaking would be a bit softer that's a bit lower yeah it just gives you that that little bit more of a of a full body Mm. to kind of trick you a little bit in thinking or at least knowing that it is up in that that higher sort of level um and you know even eight percent it didn't didn't lead in with any kind of like booziness really Mm. Um, so one of the other things coming with, with the high percentages uh, occasionally with that fuller body, you get a boozy hit. And I think maybe the water helps just give a fuller body without uh, without pushing that booziness to it mm. as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's I, don't, I keep I keep saying this when I've been on sort of talking to people and when I've been on the podcast before. But I, I find that brewers are now finding better ways and are getting better at sort of not disguising the strength of a beer but not the the strength of the beer is sort of hidden 
behind the the flavor profile the water profile the like you say the juiciness or the the bitterness of 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 the brew so it's i think it's as they're getting better at sort of their craft i suppose but i can't remember the last yeah. time i can't really remember the last time i had a dipper or a tipper or something like that and got a proper boozy kick from it it's been a while since i've had something like that mm, mm. i think it must be must be a little while mm. i always remember when uh cloud water years and years ago now did their um double ipa series mm-hmm. where they were iterating on on a recipe changing things up they came out with sort of um maybe eight versions in total mm. in the end um i think we as a as a podcast we jumped in at maybe version three and it, i mean it almost changed every time some of those were really thick really viscous and super boozy yeah and um, that kind of always sticks out to me as being like the top end of boozy boozy beers a couple yeah. of those uh, and the on the complete opposite end of that one of the other beers uh, i had recently was the wylam finback collaboration yes. um paying the price for my smooth ride mm. uh, which is another another double ipa it's very aptly named because that is one of the smoothest beers i've ever had yeah it it went down so so easily again didn't get much booze from it at all uh but whereas the the, the daya left on a giant collab had that lovely piney bitter finish. This this was much more of a, uh, a smooth, juicy affair. Mm. And whilst it wasn't a juicy bomb, it wasn't massive, it wasn't really in your face, did have a lovely viscosity to, to it, did have some nice uh, tropical notes uh, from memory. It's I think it's a little bit sort of mango-y. And it, ha- it did have a sweetness to it, um, a light bitterness on the end. But with coupled with that sweetness it just made it smooth 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 yeah all the way through yeah uh, really really well-made beer and i've not had i've had quite a lot of wylam beers mm. uh, but i haven't had from finback and, and i think actually i don't i haven't had a beer from finback the only time i've ever experienced them has been through collaborations mm. um, of which i've had a few now yeah um, but the, i don't know whether they have been coming over with all of the beers that i've uh, i've tried um, and whether they've got magic hands uh, whilst they're brewing, but just something about the beers I've had with Finback have all got this just this this quality to them that even if they are you know harder water, mm. they they just they feel completely different. Yeah, no, for sure. And I because um, I jumped on the the Cloudwater and Finback taste oh, yeah. pack that that they did because I think I've had a couple of Finbacks at last year's Hop City when I was there. Beyond that, I haven't had not had a can of just outright Finback beer, so I, I jumped all over that because any opportunity to get some sort of well sort of sought after American American beers, um, you know, I was all yeah. over that, and I've I've still yet to drink the third can, which I'm keep meaning to share with my brother because I share I had the the lemon cake one by myself. I shared one with my dad, and I'm going to share that one with my brother, but we keep needing to find an opportunity to do it, but. The one thing that I will say is I 100% agree with you, is that it's just silky smoothness to their beer is just ridiculous. Um, that lemon cheesecake one was incredible. And again, that's sort of top end of 7 to 8%, I think. Um, mm. And that uh, you, just, you just wouldn't know it. It's so smooth, so tasty. Absolutely. And the one that I've got left is there was one called Oscillation, and there was another one I can't remember. It's the one that I've got left that's 
they don't put the percentage on the can and they change the hot profile each time. And that's about an 8.4, I think. And I've, when I've looked on the okay. untapped scores and things, everyone said the exact same thing. Is just the smoothness that you get from their beer is just ridiculous. And and like you say, that makes the experience a lot better as, as much as anything. You know, like you say, we can get the the haze, the juice, you know, all that tropical goodness that everyone wants. But when you've got it in a drink that's just so smooth and you can literally just drink it instantly without even thinking about the percentage and it just goes within the space five minutes, that is just incredible. And and that pain for my smooth ride, I must admit, was so good. It's such a good beer. And I, I preferred that over there because while I did the, a triple by themselves, and I, I preferred mm. that dipper with Finback than I did that their outright triple. Um just because of that that sort of medley and blend of, of the two sort of comings together of, of the breweries. Because obviously, Wylam have been going for 20, 20 years this year, I think, is it, I think? Um, yeah, yeah, we didn't realise. We were quite surprised. Um, there's a, on the back of that um, label, and I can look at it, I've got this little label board I've been putting together yes. of all my yeah, favourite yeah. Um And on the back, it does say, uh, what does it say? 2020 vision celebrating 20 years of brewing independence. Mm. Yeah. Crazy. That's, that's, well, that's about the same amount of time I've been drinking. So yeah. ridiculous, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they've been going since I was eight. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I might be a little bit older than that. I haven't been drinking yeah. since I was eight. Well, so, um... you never, no judgment here, but yeah, they've been uh, going a fair old while, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that obviously, cause they won't have been brewing sort of outright craft stuff by them, but how they've, changed and obviously over the years become such a a strong player in, in the scene you know and in, in terms of the they're yeah. well regarded as one of the sort of the more knowledgeable breweries and their sort of bitters and things are regarded as some of the the best out there which is testament to the time they've been going and how they've used that time really in terms of sort of perfecting their craft and and things because again you know the american brewers they're um I was listening to the Triple Hopped podcast earlier today and they had uh, Will from Equilibrium on and they'd love like sort of the traditional bitters and things like that. And for some reason, they love like Timmy Taylor's, they, they go mad for, uh, but like the wild and bitters and things, they, they go crazy for. So, you know, mm. they've, they've got a great heritage there of traditional styles, but yeah. their ability to to turn the hand at, you know, the, the craft outings and things, you know, again, Jake had their, their IPAs regarded as a, one yeah. of the sort of staple IPAs out there. So they, they seem to be able to turn the hand at anything. Yeah, they do. They do seem like a very good variety brewer. I know they've been, um, it's the, the Northern powerhouse mm. series that's, that came out last year and the year before, I think as well. Uh, I know Northern Monk have been involved with that, but while uh, have put out some really good, um, some really good beers with that mm. as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's crazy. I didn't, um, I didn't manage to, um, get any of the beers that they were kind of putting together, um, at the start of lockdown. I know they, they put out their golden cans mm-hmm. as well. Uh, some of the more traditional styles that they decided, cause obviously they couldn't get it out to the pubs, yeah. uh, on draft that they, that they can. And I really wanted to try some of them, but again, I think it's been through lockdown. You're getting much more either localized beers and getting to try a lot more of the local breweries even going to, to bottle shops and things like that or you're drinking beers from people that have that established chain mm-hmm. um and trying to get beers actually down here uh, from the midlands has been okay but going a little bit further north 
um, and even even over towards sort of Newcastle and stuff, haven't seen much of them around. You know, yeah. I've been mostly drinking a, a bunch of beers from Polly's because they just make a beer. They seem to make a new beer every day. Yeah. Um, but uh, we get a lot of that down in Bristol. Mm. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's been we haven't seen as much of of, of stuff like Wylam, even Northern Monk. I've definitely dropped off a little bit um, mm. down here. Yeah, so yeah. I, I was definitely keen to try the gold. I need to find some people up there that can ship me stuff. I think that's the key. Yeah, I mean, it, even sort of for for me in in Leeds, which is only a sort of an hour and a half away from from Wylam. I mean, I do see sort of dribs and drabs of it in in sort of the likes of Rain Villa now, um, Blackbird in, in Castleford. But I must admit, even then, it seems to be like sort of some breweries are more almost like localised pockets. So like you'd, mm. you, you'll you find them in around Newcastle, but not in sort of a great quantity out there. And like you'd see Leeds breweries in around Leeds and Bristol and Wales and Manchester, yeah. things like that. So which I do like to a certain extent, but it is surprising that in this sort of day and age, or sort of like the sort of, even now with, with lockdown to try and get the beers further afield, that they're not as prevalent across the sort of across the uk as what what you might expect them to be but i must admit they're not something even for us who are a little bit closer to newcastle they're um, they're not in sort of i mean maybe because i've not noticed them you know maybe because not, you know I've not, I've not, it might be because i've not noticed them as much as other other people but even still it's not um something that i see frequently um even even somebody who's quite I say quote unquote local to them, but you know, within certainly closer than what, what, what you are. But it's interesting that even yeah. the likes of, even like the likes of Northern Monk to, to you were, are not as prevalent down there because obviously they're probably one of the biggest, if if not in some ways, the biggest sort of commercial craft brewers that are out there now, aren't you? In terms of their stuff that they're putting out that is either at a supermarket level or in bottle shops still, you know, especially with their um, old flax series now as well, you know, the sort of the smaller batch limited things that they're doing as the from the old flax store so it, it just does to show that there are still sort of gray areas almost in terms of the distribution of these beers absolutely and not to go on too much of a tangent i think kind of northern monk are i mean i would i would put them kind of almost not not above every other uh, um craft brewer in terms of of quality i mean they've got beautiful beautiful beers but just in terms of consistency and quantity, uh, I think they're kind of, they're not quite Brewdog, but they, they almost sit somewhere in between. Mm. You know, they sit in between that like national level Brewdog who are, who just seem to be everywhere. Um, and they're just, a, so Northern Monk are just below them, but they just seem to be a step above a lot of the other mm. uh, brewers, just in terms of getting their beers out there, consistency, and churning them out, you know, their their patrons' beers, some of those have been absolutely phenomenal. Mm. Um, the, the the collaboration, the tank petrol collaboration, um, the, the one they did with Dea, um, I know they did a, uh, I think it was a Finback Equilibrium one as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it just just some of their beers are phenomenal. But yeah, they just they just have this, they're just this next level of, of brewer for the scene. Mm. Um, they all, they, like you say, they yeah. almost they almost bridge the gap between, like you say, the full scale commercial brewery, but still the craft brewery, which you don't see very often because people love to hate brew dog, and they want yeah. the beers made by one man and his dog in a shed somewhere that no one's ever tried before. <laughs> but Northern Monk, like you say, seems to sit in this sort of halfway house where 
they're supplying to supermarkets, you know, they're in Tesco, they're in Morrison's, et cetera, et cetera, but they've still got the patrons mm. project. They've got the Carthusian boxes and things, you know, and, and their monthly subscription boxes, but they're still putting stuff yeah. out there that you can't get in supermarkets. It's, it's a weird halfway house that people seem to forget that they are supplying the supermarkets and people are prattling on about the argument of craft beer in supermarkets is a bad thing, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, they're managing to do it quite well, actually, between the two of them. I'm not saying every brewery is that scale or has that capacity to do that. Mm. But they almost seem to get overlooked, the fact that they're doing that, which is fair play to them in terms of making a success out of it, you know, and when they're supplying their own tap room at the brewery at the old Flagstone Leeds and the one in Manchester and the supermarkets and the subscription boxes and da-da-da and then the distributors for, you know, the the umpteen bottle shops that they're in across the UK, it's fair play to them for, be, for being able to do that, you know, and... and long may it continue because like you say they're probably one of the strongest in terms of just northern and yorkshire breweries they're definitely probably the strongest out there for sure mm, mm. but it's 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 definitely it's an interesting it's an interesting subject on uh, on how they uh how they managed to do it but uh but you know that was that was your uh, your second beer that you mentioned there ben so what's the uh, what's the what's the third and final one you want to mention um the 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 last one i think um it's kind of it's not just one beer it's kind of a lot of the same beer okay uh, i've really enjoyed the altogether project right okay and um, the, the other half put together mm. um, and lots of breweries have picked up on mm-hmm. um i've enjoyed you know it's a nice recipe and i'd like to see the differences between all of the beers mm-hmm. um i think the standout one for me and i've had maybe six seven maybe eight of them uh, the standout one for me came from uh, Dig Bruco, wow, okay. the Birmingham brewery. Um, Dig kind of popped up on the scene a few years ago, um, quietened down a little bit, but have suddenly appeared. Um, they're they're putting out their beers in little bottles mm. with little um, glow in the dark wax caps, and they they have a certain quality to them. I don't know whether it's the kit that they're brewing on, whether it is the the yeast that they're using to brew a lot of their beers, but they have a quality that you can say, oh, and if you've never had a dig beer before, it will stand out from a lot of other beers. And then you will notice a, a consistent quality to it. that You can say that is a dig beer, you know, the same as you would know if it's a day of beer. Mm-hmm. They, they definitely have a signature quality to them. And that very much came through in this altogether beer a lot of the other ones were quite similar they were nice um some of them tasted really close to each other yeah but the dig just for the part because it had their sort of signature quality to it uh and i i mean i i'm a fan of dig whenever we've gone up to visit lucy in birmingham um they're always a brewer that we say let's go over here let's go over here she says, no, it's too far away from where we are. We can't go there this today. We'll, we'll come back in a few months' time and we'll go to we'll go to dig. Uh, but we, we went over there. It was great beers. Um, and, yeah, from the All Together Project, I, I think it was really, really good that they just had a beer that kind of wasn't meant to stick out from everything else but did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, and it's a great thing that they've, they've done, you know, like other half have been doing that project. But how different breweries have adapted that that recipe to their 
sort of benefit yep. really because obviously like you say with dig having the sort of the stubby bottles because they're only small 330 mil bottles as well is they'll have obviously had to tweak that recipe to obviously fit that because obviously this recipe has been sort of like a a very sort of like juicy new england style beer so obviously to you mm-hmm. don't see many of that style of beers in bottles for obvious reasons really in terms of how it's kept and stored and how it sort of yeah. de- degrades over time so it's great that they've managed to a accomplish a beer that works in their sort of their model but b stands out as as much as it has done for for you certainly and it's it, i must admit it's a brewer that I, I really and i have i am in discussion with them to get them on the podcast i must admit um to get some more beers nice. in, cause I've, I've only had one of their beers which was their portion i think um but i must admit oh, i yeah. do i do love their sort of what they do in terms of the the bottle with the like you say the glow in the dark wax seal at the top it's it's a great little sort of unique way of presenting beers beyond just every man and his dog now doing cans regardless of the size into they're sticking to the guns and and doing little bottles it's a it's a good little niche that they're doing down yeah. there yeah absolutely i know they did have a they did have a canning line um mm. a few years ago uh, most of the can most of the things uh, that they had a beer called dagger dagger which was really good as well. That was a, that was a canned beer, maybe three or four years ago now. Mm. Um, we, we drank a lot of draft um, when we went to their uh, when we went to their tap room, mm-hmm. uh, but we did take home a couple of cans um, that they produced as well. So interesting that they've gone for these for these bottles now. And whether that's just to do with um, getting cans in or an issue with their canning line mm. or something like that. What that, that change was if you do get them on i'll be as soon as, as soon as that episode drops mate, I'm on it. <laughs> it's it instantly one of my questions that i'll ask them because like you say it's it's surprising because generally speaking canning even if outsourced to an external canning company would normally be cheaper than bottles obviously because the buying cost of mm-hmm. of the can is generally cheaper than the bottle and it's more readily available in the bottles, especially when they're putting it in the bottles that they are. The style of bottle, like the little stubby bottles as opposed to the traditional 330ml bottles, it's, it'll be interesting to see why they um, why they chose to do that. But yes, I'm, I'm in the sort of discussion to do that and I do need to go back to them actually to, to get them on. So fingers crossed that will be coming up very, very soon. So um, as soon as I've arranged, as soon as I've got all the arrangements in place, I'll, um, I'll let you know for sure. Um, Brilliant. So for me, um, the beers that I wanted to talk about, um, the first one was Stargazing at Midnight by Pipeline, which was their seven point five percent double New England. The double. Yes, which I I love Pipeline. I love everything that that they do down there, and and it's a it was one of my places that where I was went to go because we were meant to be getting married in April, me and Anna, and obviously we were getting married in Cornwall. And I'd spoken to Johnny, he said, look, when you're down here, come down, I'll show you the brewery, I'll show you what's going on, righty, righty, right. And that was one of the things that I know I, I, I shouldn't really say it, but beyond the wedding and getting married, it was one of the things that I was really looking forward to, which obviously yeah. has had to be postponed for now. Um, but I met him when we went to Arundel at the start of the year, the Arundel Brewfest, and he's such a lovely guy, is Johnny. Um, really nice guy, uh, just one man band um brewing the beer which i know he's got will who's the british beard on instagram doing his sales and things um both he's a great guy as well but what johnny manages to put out down there is easily as good in many cases if not better than the likes of his obviously his bigger brother of verdon and things down there so i just love what he does and again the the beers down there that he puts out just always have this 
cleanliness to clean cleanliness to them, should I say, and smoothness to them that just goes down far too quickly. Uh, which again is probably down to their their water content and the water profile that they have down there. But this one um, had the oat additions and things like that, which obviously again will have helped with the um, sort of the, the cleanliness and the smoothness and creaminess to it. But I, I just love that beer. And it's one of those beers that I, I opened the can and almost drank within the space of five minutes because it just went down so easily. Um, and I just enjoy seeing what it comes out with down there because it predominantly, yes, he does brew sort of like the New England style. So, you know, the the juicy, hazy IPAs, which is is not a bad thing because he's, he's, he's bloody great at doing them. Um, mm. You know, I've just seen his recent one that he's done a collaboration with Little Monster, I believe. Um Oh, nice. Which I, I must admit, I need to get my hands on that. So I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, I, I really love Johnny's beers that he puts out at Pipeline. And fingers crossed, hopefully, when um, when we're allowed to go to Cornwall and get married, hopefully I'll be able to uh, pay him a visit at some point because it's, I know he's brewing in pretty much what is still his garage, really. Um, he's kitted out as a, as a as a brewery. So it'll be interesting to see his setup and his process and things like that. So touch wood, mm. hopefully that'll... Um, that I'll be able to go ahead later in the year. Um, the the second beer that I wanted to mention um, was the Citra Single Hop um, beer by Vocation, which I don't know if you've seen that they've just started doing a single hop series. And so far, from what I've seen and had, they've done a Simcoe beer and a Citra beer. Now, I had the Simcoe one first because that is one of my favourite hops, but Citra, I think, just tops the list for me. Um, so I had the Simcoe first and the Citra, but... That Citra beer was phenomenal. It was really, really good. Mm. And and I think that Evocation are kind of in that same ballpark, really, of what Northern Monk are, that they supply the supermarkets with quite a lot of beer, but they also do a lot of sort of more crafty things. And I think this is kind of them getting, you know, putting more emphasis and more focus on that craft stuff. Because I know they've just done their um, sort of barrel-aged series and they've done a, a collaboration with the Munson, I think, where they've done like a lot of stouts and things. Um but this for me, this Citra beer was was incredible. Which it wasn't a thick or sort of like juicy New England as you might expect from, you know, Cloudwater, Dayer, Verdant Track, etc. So it was quite not not really thin, but a bit thinner than that. But the flavour that came through on it was just ridiculous. Which we all born, you know, we all know by now what what Citra brings to the table in terms of its tropical goodness that it adds to any beer that it's in um but it was 6.7 percent, and again it was just super super drinkable um really light and was great on a what was at the time a very warm and hot day which i know has kind of disappeared now um, we've gone back to the sort of the, the standard <laughs> british weather it's been absolutely heaving it down today now we've got a bit of sun at the end of the day um yes like Soon weather today and, and yesterday, I think. Mm, so yeah, it's it's business as usual now. I think we've had a had our time in the sun, as it were. But but yeah, that was that was incredible. So I don't know if you've um, seen anything about these or sort of looked at getting any of these. But I, I highly recommend both of them because the Simcoe yeah. was really nice as well. Vocation. I don't know whether it's just a Bristol or distribution thing, but Vocation seems to have disappeared. Mm. For a while, they're in, the, they're in the supermarket. They're in Morrison's. Yeah, uh, I drank a full pack of uh, of Life and Death. I think on what night was that? Saturday night, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe Friday night. One of those two. Yeah, uh, almost every day just merges into one. Yeah. At the moment. Um, but apart from um, apart from their kind of their supermarket fare, I haven't seen Vocation for a while. Mm. Um, it, 
good to to get some of these um whether that is these um the, the barrel age series or the single hop uh, i always i always enjoy a single hop beer yeah from people like fierce were putting out um collaboration beers which were single hop mm. beers yeah yeah um, last year i think and i really like some of those mm. um it, it's good to see what someone can do with a single hot beer to see what they can what they can show what they can bring to the table um you know mixing up things like uh, the malts and the yeast and stuff as well in there to create something quite unique for a for a single hop or even just to really showcase what a single hop can do um so i would definitely uh, i'll definitely take a look mm. might be that might be one of those where I have a quick look on their online shop to see what I can. Um, what I can yeah, yeah, and I don't know if it's because that they are in a similar vein to Northern Monk or something that because people see them in mm. supermarkets and they tend not to stock them in the bottle shops. But like I say, they do a lot beyond their life and death series, and obviously uh, love and hate and things like that. They do put in the supermarkets, and I think this yeah. is kind of a a resurgence almost of those. And thankfully I vocation the, the barrel age series and these are in quite plentiful supply at York's craft beers down the road from me. So um, I know he's got, I know James down there has got a very good relationship with them. So thankfully they and not been too far away as well from myself. They're only in Hebden bridge, um, which is sub an hour away from me. Um, so they are, they are mm. still quite local. So it's good that they are still quite prevalent, but I'm surprised that they're sort of, the, they've dried up down there, which, Again, whether it's just because of location, like Northern Monk or something, I don't know. But it's odd that the kind of two sort of Yorkshire or almost Leeds-based breweries are are in sort of difficult supply down there, which is quite quite odd. But uh, but yeah, but if you're struggling to find it, then obviously just give me a shout. Let me know, and if I can get my uh, get my hands on it and send you send you some down, I'll um, I'll help you out for sure. Because I, I know for a fact that James got Perfect. plenty of uh, plenty of theirs, and he buys it in plentiful supply as well. So. Uh, saying that i've just gone on their website to have mm. a look and i want i want double attitude collaboration with salt on the that, west coast please. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, that's that's <laughs> in the fridge actually which I, i'm the same as you because west, no. west coast I'm, I'm all over so um as soon as i saw that coming out i was i was all over it so it is in the fridge that i need to get my hands on so well drink it rather than just get it out of the fridge and drink yeah. it so uh so yeah it is it's one of the ones that i uh, jumped on straight away um the final beer that I wanted to to mention, um, which I know you've talked about on on your podcast before, is um, Steady Rolling Man by Daya. Now I hadn't I hadn't oh, yeah. had a kind of steady for quite a while, and looking on taps, it's about a year since I last had it, which I know is stupid of me because however how how ridiculously good it is. But <laughs> the the main reason that I haven't is because for a long long time, I've always thought my staple IPA was Faith by Northern Monk. And it had been up until recently when I still think they've changed it. And since it's gone in supermarkets, I don't think it's the beer that it used to be. And I, I, I think it's changed. And it's just me. My, it might just be something in my sort of subconscious or how I'm perceiving it. But I also don't like the branding of it either. So yeah. I think Steady is going to take over Faith for me because I had it and instantly realized why everyone prattles on about it and lords so much about it because that is just such a good beer it's just an incredible and like like you say it's got that you know trademark day of flavor to it you instantly mm-hmm. it's you know it's like putting an old pair of slippers back on or something you know, you're sipping that again getting back into that was incredible so i think that's going to take back over from where 
faith seeming has let me down. I mean, I had a, a t- try of it at the um, of faith at the the refectory in Manchester, and those it just wasn't faith. It was like it was almost like I, I mentioned this at the time. It was almost like chewing a bag of weed. It was so hoppy, and yeah, yeah. And faith is not normally like that. It was ridiculously hoppy, um, which I don't know if it's how it's being kept or what. I'm not sure. But even saying of how the supermarket version I think is not as good as what the other U version used to be. That version that I had on tap was just nothing like either of the two. Um, mm. It was crazy. It was it was ridiculous. And obviously I know that hops are very sort of closely related to to weed. And you generally speaking, you sometimes do get that weedy flavour, but it was like just having a mouthful of yeah. weed almost. It was ridiculous how sort of hop, hoppy that was. So, But yeah, but steady, uh, I instantly was like, I need to get my hands on more of this when, when I can because it is just such a good staple. So um, so I was glad to be back with that. So I'll definitely be uh, be jumping back in for some more when I uh, when I see it again. Nice, nice. And steady rolling around. Again, it's another it's another full-flavoured soft mm. beer. Uh, uh, Dea, I mean, are just so good at being able to give you that juicy, juicy feeling, but being light. Uh, you know, it's not a heavy kind of juice flavor. Everything is nice and light. Yeah. Even their double IPAs, they've got a viscosity to them, but they're lovely and light, and they give you those big, big fruity flavors as mm. well. The Steady Rolling Man, uh, yeah, it's it's one of those beers that anytime the bottle shop has it, yes, I will have one mm. of these. Yeah, yeah. And they are quite well at um, kind of for the size of them. Um, I know you've normally got to go to the brewery to pick up their beers. Um, they're almost uh, leading on that kind of um, that like American model mm-hmm. where they will produce X amount of cans, but you can only get them at the tap room or the or, you know their their little box shop next to their tap room or something yeah. like that. Um, and not manufacturing a a want or manufacturing demand for them. You know, they make as many as they can make. Mm. Uh, but I think they're just so good that that, that demand picks up really quickly yeah. and people are willing to go to Daya to get their beers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely guilty of picking up almost any Daya when I see it. I, I did really like the um, something good series that they've recently mm. done as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, just, um, I mean, good to see experimentation from them as well. Steady Rolling Man, constant, always, always a constantly good mm. beer. Um, so yeah, nice to see something slightly different from them yeah. too, and a little bit of experimentation. Yeah, for sure. And it's and it's good that they, by their own admission, that they they won't stop tweaking recipes till they've they've finally found a form that they're happy with. Which obviously, which they've, which they've yeah. done with with Steady is that they've tweaked it like a tiny little bit over time. So we'll do this a bit different, do that, and, and and it's good to see that they are that pernickety and focusing on perfection almost really to to get the best out of that mm-hmm. beer. And like you say, to to get the most out of those hop flavors and that juiciness without being too heavy or like in Steady's case, it's you've got that flavor, but you don't have a a thick or viscous beer. You've got a, a relatively sort of light beer, and obviously a, a more clear beer it's got that little bit of haze about it but not to the point of what it normally is like you know it's a thick and cloudy 
sort of juice bomb. So it's good to see that they they take it that serious and they are sort of perfectionists in a way to to get that out of the beer. So, but it's yeah, it's much like coming to Bristol that again their new tap room that they've got pretty much ready to go, which hopefully will be reopening again soon if it hasn't done already. I'm I'm wanting to go pay a visit to because like say if we can get some some fresh day on site, then I'm all for that because there's no better way to get it than uh, in its freshest form, is there? So hopefully once uh, absolutely once lockdown's uh, eased a bit more, we can uh, stop off there as well. Um, so that's that's the beers that I wanted to talk about. So we'll uh, we'll take a short pause uh, again there, Ben, then we'll uh, we'll come back to um, the gaming section of the podcast, which we haven't had for uh, a short while on the podcast, and we'll uh, we'll look at what you've been playing recently. Right, so welcome back everyone. Welcome to what will be the final part of the podcast and uh, a part of the podcast, Ben, which has been overlooked and overshadowed in the last sort of few weeks as um, gaming isn't everybody's bag, but obviously you come from a, a gaming stroke beer podcast background with, with Tanked Up, so it's good to kind of add that to the show. Um, so what have you been playing recently? Uh-huh. All of my time has been taken up in the last week from by Ghost of Tsushima. Okay. Uh, which is a very big open-world samurai game. Um, it's uh, made by a uh, developer called Sucker Punch Productions. It's a PlayStation uh, exclusive game. Sucker Punch are a PlayStation developer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made things like Sly Cooper uh, and all the infamous games yep. uh, that have been on uh, PS2, PS3. And PS4. And I love it. I absolutely love it. We rarely see feudal Japan and samurai as a setting or as a character in video games. It's really, really underdone. Mm. And I, I think Sucker Punch have kind of really put some key details into what they produce. You know, it's not just an open world game. Um, there's, there's tons of open world games out there that all have mini maps or compass systems. They kind of tell you where to go by um, putting a, a line on the ground for you to follow or mm-hmm. some kind of, some kind of line on the map. That you follow. Ghost of Tsushima has this element called the guiding wind where you can swipe up on the little touchpad on the um, PlayStation controller and the wind will blow in the direction of your objective or a point that you have picked on the the map. When you go into the pause screen, you can go to the map, pick a point, and you can just swipe up and this big gust of wind will blow all of the leaves, all of the grass, everything towards that. And it's a lovely, lovely little feature. Mm to keep you much more immersed in this world. And I think that's the, the, the thing I'm kind of taking away from this, that it is a very, very immersive world. It's beautiful. It's bright. It's full of differing, um, differing fauna and flora uh, that, really, that really make it just a, a pleasure to be in. And being a samurai is always going to be cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, going around uh, uh, sort of taking out Mongols as they're trying to invade the island of Tsushima and you're trying to reclaim it and take it back. You know, you're freeing captives. 
you're liberating towns. It, it does have the trappings of, uh, you know, an open world game uh, made kind of popular by... It doesn't quite follow the Ubisoft formula, um, you know, that, that Assassin's Creed-esque kind of formula yeah. for an open world game. It does a few things differently. Uh, but it's just just immersive enough that you can kind of forgive the few little um, stilted and tired elements that it does have to it. Mm. Uh, and again, just being a samurai is cool. Yeah. Um, the different combat systems that it has in, whether you want to change stance to take on different enemies, all of the variety of weapons that you have at your disposal, um, it, it, it kind of the story and the progression that the player gets experience charts um, the the progression of uh, the character Jin Sakai, who is a samurai, but needs to start to think of different ways to fight the Mongols. Being a samurai and the way that the samurai fight got most of them killed at the start of the game. Mm. So you start to lean into a much more, um, and this is very much my word, they never use the word ninja but it is it, it has those trappings. So there's things like smoke bombs, throwing knives. Mm. You, can, you can jump between two different types of um, uh, types of, of bow, either short bow or a long yeah. bow, and they have either flaming arrows or exploding arrows. Like the arsenal that you have at your disposal is extensive, and the control scheme that they put into it really makes it a joy to try and fight and fight in lots of different ways and styles and if things turn south it's really easy to just select a smoke bomb and pop it and just run away mm. um which has happened a couple of times <laughs> for me uh, i'm not um I, I can't say i'm the most amazing samurai that i've never taken a hit <laughs> uh, in my time but it, and it's got it's got like those lovely uh, um kind of moments that you get in samurai cinema as well, where you can initiate like a standoff between characters and you, you, you hold and you wait until your enemy makes a move before you draw your sword and take it through them. Mm. Uh, some lovely, lovely elements like that, that it, it is just a joy to play. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's like you say, it's such a sort of a different experience. Like you say that, that we, we haven't had, a game of its ilk like that before, or, or for certainly for a long time anyway, that's set in that sort of feudal Japan era that puts you in the mm-hmm. in the sort of the the driving seat of being a samurai. Because like you say, it, it must be cool a, to be a samurai to sort of like fling that sword around and sort of like chop people up. But it's surprising that that hasn't been done already, you know, certainly for, for a long time. Um, but it's good to see that they, they capture the essence of, you know the time period that it's set in and kind of make it a, a rewarding experience because you know like it's a sucker puncher renowned for their pedigree uh, but not not in terms of this sort of game that they've created here which like you say it's not in the similar vein to assassin's creed but sounds almost in a similar sort of spin to that like you say we've got the the arsenal and sort of the weaponry that you can choose from and can you can you by that logic can you choose to kind of stealth through your objectives rather than going full head on is the kind of different ways that you can play the game or yeah you can yeah absolutely um they they call it the um, the ghost mm. hence the title ghost of tsushima mm-hmm. 
uh, but you can, and you can upgrade various weapons, so you can be a little bit quicker at, um, and they do call it assassinating people as well, so when you kind of creep up behind someone, you can tap a button and assassinate them. Mm. Uh, and you can do you can you can link those together as well. So one of the one of the good things is how it flows between this more stealthy play and then the kind of the full combat. So you can get up behind two enemies, you can assassinate one, you can chain an assassination with another one, and they'll do a very lovely animation where he spins behind them and swings his little um, Sakai, the little um, not uh, what's the little sword called anyway. So you've got your katana mm. plus the other little sword, uh, and <laughs> you'll you, you spin behind it. You, you'll stab one of them with the smaller sword, and then you'll spin behind and you'll slice through them with the katana. And that even may scare other enemies that are around you when they've seen that and things. So they, they stagger slightly, which gives you just that opening to get up to them and kind of be in their face mm. and then launch into this, you know, into full combat. Or you, you do it super, super stealthily, and you sit you know, with your bow, you're taking people out from cover, from the tops of buildings, you're assassinating people, you're trying to be as quiet and as, as stealthy as possible. Um, sometimes you're sort of forced into doing that. So there are a few missions where you have to rescue hostages. Mm. And if, a, if an enemy spots you, they kind of raise the alarm and someone will just run to try and kill the hostages. Yeah. It gives you a little bit of time to get to that enemy to stop them doing it. But it almost wants you to be stealthy and to lean into that sort of uh, into that ghosting. It's maybe the one criticism that I have of the of the game um, with the previous infamous games, and not so much with um, Second Son, which was the PlayStation Four infamous game that they came yep. with, but with Infamous One and Two, which were on the PS3. Uh, they very much had a good bad system mm -hmm. in there, and it, it, it's one of these systems which people say, "Well, you know, good and bad isn't sort of this um, spectrum that you kind of run up." There's all this grey, and it very much gamifies that kind of thing. Where if you are as good as you can possibly be, you get to pick the best superhero powers. Uh, that are on that good line. Or if you're as bad, you get to go in the opposite way and pick the best bad superhero powers. Mm. But the only way you can become super powerful in uh, in Infamous is either being really good or being really bad. Ghost of Tsushima's kind of got rid of that, where you can try and play how you want. Uh, and I, actually, I'd kind of wanted to see a little bit more consequence from that. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm only into uh, into Act Two of, of three acts, so I'm probably about halfway through the game. Uh, but I haven't yet seen any. You know, I could have tried to play this game the whole way through being a samurai, and I would still be at exactly the same point as if I'd have been a ghost and gone through being all ninjury and stealthy. Mm. You know, there is there is nothing that has differentiated story wise or world building wise. Uh, based on kind of how I play, which in one way for some people is going to be great. They don't want to make that decision. Um, but definitely for me, it is the big criticism that I have. I, I wanted some kind of repercussion mm. um, or some kind of uh, reward for trying to kind of be as honorable as a samurai as possible or a reward for being as brutal and ghostly a, a, as I could be. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, it may come, may come later in the game. There may be something that that appears around that, mm. but um, but I've yet. To see. Yeah, it's almost like a, a sort of a prerequisite, really, though, isn't it? With with sort of not a, a karmic system as such, like you say, that they had in in mm. Infamous, but certainly for where you're having to make decisions in games nowadays, you know, even sort of to the Fallout games. If you look at the games there, that even they have a sort of a system that if you choose a certain path to go down it, it changes how the story progresses and ends so you know it's yeah. kind of almost a um a given that you'd, you'd have that in which like you say some people don't because i must admit I, I do really like it but obviously it does you know it does mean you have to play the game in multiple ways to kind of see each different end or sort of possibility yes. which again that's their way of kind of adding to the longevity of the game so you would have thought that even if nothing else they would have not necessarily put in, like, say, the the hard and set, good or bad paths to to go down, um, like the infamous games. Even if they just said, well, you know, your actions do have consequences, so there are different endings or there are different sort of missions that open depending on which way you go. Mm. Even just from their perspective, just sort of extending the longevity, you would have thought that they may uh, they may do that. But um but yeah, but it's it's definitely interesting to hear what, what you said and certainly it's something that's been on um on my radar and, and much as my uh, PlayStation is very much overshadowed by um my Xbox in playtime. It's one of the games that has been sort of on my radar to kind of reignite sort of the usage of our PlayStation for, for gaming rather than just mm-hmm. watching watching T V on and it's certainly something that's um Seem to have been getting a lot of glowing, glowing praise and plaudits out yeah, there as well. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but in terms of the map, then obviously, say Snuff World, what what sort of scale is it in terms of? Is it just a case of it plonks you in and off you go, or is it a case of that certain areas are locked off till you progress? Or yeah, it, it does lock off certain areas, um, but it does so in a in, in sort of clever. You know, you, you have that um, the example of like Grand Theft Auto Three. Mm. Like oh the bridge is closed yeah. can't go across across the bridge mm. uh, whereas um, Ghost of Tsushima is uh, I don't know how true to life the um, the topography of the island is mm. uh, but the uh, the first act happens on the lower half of the island mm-hmm. and until you progress through with a few main story missions you cannot progress through past the ginormous and fortified castle that is the only link between the uh, the north and the south of the island. Okay. Um, so it definitely has that barrier in there. That you can't just explore everything straight away. Mm. Uh, but it's big enough that I didn't ever feel the need mm-hmm. to go for I still haven't even now being in act two and being up into the kind of the middle area of the entire map, um, I still haven't explored the entire lower half. Mm. So there are still things for me to go down and do still points for me to, uh, to go and investigate. Um, and it, it, it kind of makes you want to go and investigate those things as well. Yeah. Um, lots of things that you find, across the map will um will help you progress in some way or another so there's um fox dens so you'll see a a lovely beautiful silver birch which has got golden leaves to it and in there will be a fox 
and the fox will lead you to a shrine and praying at the shrine will then unlock a, sl- a charm slot and equipping charms you know gives you a little bit of a boost mm-hmm. in combat um, so lots of these things that you find in the world does enhance your character and, uh, and allows for that little bit more progression so it does encourage exploration but it never felt um forced never felt in the way Mm. so um, everything that i'm doing flows very nicely and it makes me want to explore makes me want to find all of these different either shrines or monuments uh and everything is set so beautifully as well they've done such a good job of um bringing this island to life that you'll find a just a monument and all the monuments do is have a little um vanity item so you can you can color your sword sheaths in a different way Mm. but the way that the monument is set within the landscape just draws you towards it you want to go and investigate what is down kind of either in this bowl of this land or at the top of a hill or you can see a bunch of trees, but there's this cutout in the middle of them where the canopy has disappeared. So you're like, what is in there? Yeah. It just draws you in to want to explore mm. as well. And that's one of the uh, one of the selling points of this uh, that you you know you're not just aimlessly walking around a map trying to find random collectibles placed around. Uh, it, it definitely draws you in and leads you around very well. Yeah, and that and that's a, an art in itself, isn't it? That of building a world that makes you want to go explore, not that you feel like you have to go and explore it. You know, of making those enticing scenes and vistas and backdrops where you can see a mountain in the background and you can literally just run to it or wherever. You know, it's yeah. that in itself is a is an art that you know it it takes a lot to build that sort of believable world but also an enticing world to make you want to go on that it's good that it it does reward you for doing that like you say it's not just a case of it's there to explore and it's meaningless almost but there's actually a reward for doing it but again it's not it's good that it's not forced in terms of it makes you sort of navigate the entire island as part of the story that it's the case of you can just go down this path and finish the main story but there's all these areas as well but it's good that there's kind of those little sort of sort of nagging thoughts that oh i could i could go there and do this and you could get lost in sort of either side quests or just aimlessly wandering around as opposed to just solely sticking to missions because that again it just adds to the the whole experience so it, it it's definitely something that i'll um i'll jump into at some point but it's good to to hear such sort of good feedback because as much as everyone sort of with these sort of first party games that have been built up for so long as as this has it's good to hear people that are genuine about it and genuinely happy with it and excited about it and you know pleased with it than just sort of seeing reviews yeah. about it online because as much as I, you obviously you can read a a few good reviews and things it's good to hear what sort of people that you know and almost trust really think about it so you kind of get a better a better view and perspective of what the game actually is and and how it plays yeah yeah absolutely and i think that's that's kind of key to um, even to uh, to media reviews as well. Mm. I've only got, I think, maybe two or three people um, that I actually go to to look at their reviews mm-hmm. because they like the same kind of games that I like. Uh, they're similarly kind of minded. 
uh, they pick on the same kind of criticisms that, 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 you know, that irk me and things. So I can very easily know that if I go and speak to or, or, or read a review from this person, whether I am going to enjoy a game or not, you know, it's not necessarily a publication that I'm going to, mm. to look at for reviews. It, it is an individual yeah. that I'm picking up from. And I think that's key, finding those individuals that you, uh, that you know um, speak sense, who you know, aren't criticising for the sake of it or coming at uh, either loving a game or hating a game from a certain angle. Just people that care enough and know what they're talking about enough to give you a very balanced, very well-rounded review on something mm-hmm. who, who who like the same things that you do yeah you know, there's no point in me going and uh, and thinking oh uh, you know this person they made sense about this game or oh, absolutely the things that they said were completely valid i didn't like this game and they did but i agree with their criticisms oh what have they said about this mm. oh well, they really like it no chances are i may not yeah uh, it is it is key finding reviewers who uh, who like similar things to you, mm. which is hard to do because games are so varied, and the opportunity to review games in even in big publications, you know they'll have teams of people doing it. So you you will think, well, maybe I should get this game, and you might not find anyone that you trust who has reviewed it yet. Um, so you kind of have to go to your beer your your B tier of kind of reviewers to, to take a look at or then follow the publications and see kind of what they're saying. Mm. I would always advocate for finding finding someone within games journalism and even with beer as well. It's yeah. the same with beer. 100%. Uh, yeah. That, that you know that you can trust what they're saying. Good stuff. Right. So in terms of what I have been playing then, I've been playing the latest Paper Mario game, the the Origami King. So um I didn't know much about this until pretty much about two months before it was due to come out. So I think it was sort of middle lockdown almost that I'd just seen an advert for it saying, there's a new Paper Mario game coming out. And then it was like in July. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump all over that. So, um, so I did. So I picked, I think, I think that's the same with a lot of people. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Nintendo have been very quiet on this game. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say I, I didn't knowingly, see anything or heard anyone talk about because i've got um a whatsapp group for uh for the people who sort of do and did do the uh, the lost spark podcast and it's generally speaking something that they'd have talked about quite a lot because they're sort of big fans mm. of the switch and and mario and things so but i i couldn't knowingly remember much about it so that probably does feed into what you said there that that nintendo had been pretty sort of keeping stum about it almost so i was surprised when i saw it but um I'm not the biggest of sort of Nintendo fans by right. I was um I was Sega when I was growing up. I suppose Nintendo, but uh-huh. there's just there's just something about the sort of like the the Paper Mario series that I've played. This one and the one on 3DS, which was was it was that one Sticker Star was it or I can't I can't remember now. But one of the ones beforehand. But um I just like how Nintendo still to this day managed to sort of tweak the Mario formula because I know people are sort of, sort of like knock Mario in terms of how many times can you bring a Mario game out and Nintendo are relying on it, blah, blah, blah. But the, the sort of like the little tweaks and things that they can bring to what is a much loved character from, you know, back in the eighties is just great. And, mm-hmm. and, and just this sort of the, the charming way that they create these worlds like this, you know, the, the sort of the almost 
two and a half D sort of world that they make, you know, because you, your character is 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 flat, is is made out of uh, paper, as as the the clue suggests. But you're still exploring a, a sort of a three D world, um, and exploring that. And obviously, the switch kind of allows them to bring these worlds more to life. And and much like any sort of other Mario game, it, it opens with peach or peach's castle being sort of abducted and you know and, and taken away as pretty much is the the opening sort of scene for any any mario game re- really isn't it with with peach finding yes. herself in yeah. a in a spot of bother so um so that is the same but this <laughs> this this origami king has, has stolen peach's castle um he's transformed towards anyone you know other people into origami figures villains statues that sort of thing so you have to go around and, and rescue sort of little toads that have been turned into inanimate objects or bugs or fish or mosquitoes or whatever um, in the attempt to save Princess Peach, as, as is much the case, again, as, as any other Mario game, really. Yeah. Um, but the sort of the unique twist with with the Paper Mario games is the, is the combat in them, which this sort of brings in a, a 360-degree wheel of sort of how he can change the combat is so for the sort of run of the mill battles you're in the middle for the boss battles you're on the outside of it but all like sort of the the sort of the normal enemy battles you're in the middle and you have to move the the sort of the platforms around you so you can either rotate them clockwise or anti-clockwise or move them across almost like a conveyor belt really but you're limited to the amount of moves that you need to do so obviously you need to either line them up so you can jump on them in sort of a line and sequence or put four enemies together so you can sort of hit them with your hammer. Um, then there's different enemies. So obviously you've got your shy guys, you um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, then you've got your, your, your turtles with the, with the spikes on the shell so you can't jump on them. You've got to hit them yep. with a hammer and things. So there's all sort of different little sort of tweaks and things that change it. And then you've got weapons that you can add that means you can jump on spiked enemies and then they run out so you have to replace them over time and then you've got your boss battles again like say which you have to sort of create a path to get to the middle to attack them because you're on the outside of the circle as opposed to in the middle of the circle um it's a great little mechanic and but it's equally as much anything frustrating because the the boss battles in particular so it's one sort of false step with, with them kind of leaves you on the receiving end of a an attack from them and it does it does frustrate you i must admit because each sort of boss battle has its own little thing so it's like the um the velumentals that they call them to kind of that you need to find out so you've got the the water and the earth one to start with and the the latest boss that i've just fought is the um the rubber band boss and they sort of like put rubber bands on the battlefield that kind of change your direction away you're moving and if you're not careful that kind of sort of inhibits your path and then kind of leaves you susceptible to attack so it's a great game and i love it and it's just a charming little game and it's um for the first time in a long time actually i've played this 99 percent of the time in its docked mode as opposed to actually in handheld okay. mode which switch generally speaking i will play in handheld because i'll usually play it while anna's watching tv or i'll play it in bed or something but i mean given mm. that i've got um more spare time at the moment i think that's kind of played into it really that i've just been able to sit on the sofa and play it in in docked mode as opposed to handheld mode but i um i'm really enjoying it i'm, I'm really glad that I, that I picked it up and it's just a such a it's almost like easy playing that you can just sit back and play it without having to put much thought into it you know the there's sort of some puzzles in there and like say there's some element of tactics for the for the battles and the boss battles but beyond that there's not a lot of sort of thought that goes and it's not sort of something that sort of vies for your attention for in sort of like 
a high amount. So you could quite easily sit and listen to a podcast at the same time or play it while sort of doing something else at the same time. But I must admit, I'm um, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So um, is it something that you've either picked up or you're going to pick up? Or um, I, I don't have a switch. Oh, right, okay. Um, it's something I've thought about, especially mm. for the for the little mm. um, to to sort of start to get her. She's she's very interested in the PlayStation, but mm. uh, the 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 pad is a little bit too big for her. Yeah. Um, and I have thought about the uh, about the Switch to get for her, but I think Paper Mario would definitely be one of those games that I would pick up for it i mean as you say it's got such a charming aesthetic mm. i love how with this one um with the uh, origami king that the enemies are are made out of folded paper mm-hmm. it isn't just the um you know that sort of very beautifully done comic sort of style yeah thick black line um that you kind of get in these games mm. the, 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 there is that aesthetic change to it as well and it's lovely to hear that it does have still a strategic sort of element to it, mm-hmm. but it's it's quite easy. You know, I love I love a good strategy game. Um, I've got uh, a game called Other Side to um, to actually review in um, in the next couple of days, and um, that looks very very heavy in terms of the strategy side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, have a game which kind of still allows you a little bit of tactics, but um, isn't too deep, isn't too difficult to pick up. Yeah, is is absolutely bonus, and you would always expect that from something like a Mario game. Yeah, for sure. You know, it can it can throw in this new element to it, but still keep it super simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it, everything that I've heard about this, and from from um, sort of from your explanation of kind of how you're feeling about the game as well, like it does sound really good. Um, and I'm not a non-Nintendo fan, but I've never really been massively drawn. Uh, I love um, Ocarina of Time mm-hmm. and various games like that, you know, back in the N64 sort of um, era and a few of the GameCube games. Yeah. Things. But I've never really been that um, inclined to pick up, you know, the newest kind of Nintendo console. Yeah, yeah. But something like this, I may be able to sit and play with my daughter which is definitely something that i'm considering more and more with my game purchases Mm. these days um it it almost seems like a bit of a no-brain yeah really yeah yeah Um, Yeah, especially with how versatile the console is as well that's like you said the main thing there is that it appeals to both markets and and new mario fans and and older like you know because it can go to a young audience who've never experienced Mario before, but it can quite easily go to sort of an older audience that have grown up with Mario to then say, oh, well, I want to play this and I want to play that, you know, with Odyssey and Mario Kart and Smash Bros and things like that. And then obviously Zelda as well. You know, you've got that that pedigree and that heritage. And and it's probably the first time that I've I've had a, a Nintendo console for a while that I've not questioned my purchase of it or thought, well, do it, you know, mm is it really worth me keeping hold of all things? Obviously, because the Wii U had a, you know, sort of a very sort of questionable upbringing and and launch, (laughs) which obviously was the prelude to the Switch, which all makes sense now, but still it was obviously a a sort of a a questionable step for them. But certainly from a, because my my brother's 
um, kid Joseph, my, my nephew, he's got um, he's got a switch and he loves it. But again, it kind of fills that gap that they can play Mario Kart together or something, or you know Minecraft or whatever it might be that they can play, and and they can play it either on the telly or if he can play it in his handheld mode. So it's definitely um, a, a sort of a very versatile console. But the game itself, like you say, it has got a, a bit of depth to it, but it is very it can be very forgiving in terms of you know you're not you're not going to get a um, an enemy or a group of enemies that's going to kill you in sort of instantly or any sort of there's not sort of any sort yeah. of major repercussions if you make a misstep um, of, a, of a battle you know you'll take a few hits but you're not instantly sort of having to restart the battle or panic that it's going to be over instantly or anything like that so it's good that it does have that tactical and strategic element but also you can see how it's sort of built from the ground up to kind of fit in that middle ground of appealing to a younger audience but also having a bit of sort of meat to the bones to to bring in a an older audience as well, but I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it, and I'll I'll definitely see it through. Um, you know, there's bits and pieces in the in the game that you can go back and explore, and you know, there's the sort of holes in in the floor and on the walls that you can fill with confetti that you can kind of throw at it to fill the gaps and restore the world from where it's been destroyed. Um, you nice. know, the confetti comes from defeating enemies and finding it by sort of shaking trees and things. So there's um, again, there's a sort of a puzzle element to it that you need to find sort of the bigger the sort of the, the gap or the hole, the more confetti you need. So you do sometimes need to go hunting for that. But again, there's a mm. lot of the sort of the collectibles, like the, there's a bit sort of naff almost because they're like little statues that go to a museum. So there's not really anything worth going out and collecting unless you're sort of a completionist really. But again, yeah, it probably boils down to the fact that you're, you're trying to fill a gap of, it needs to appeal to two audiences as opposed to sort of just, just the one. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. So I'll, um, like so I'll definitely definitely see it through and uh, hopefully it, it keeps my attention to, to the very end. So I probably reckon I'm about halfway through by now. So um I'll um I'll see what the rest of the game brings out towards the end of it and cool. um, and see what it brings. But yeah, but that's me and I think that's pretty much um the end of the podcast, mate. So I think we've um I think we've gone over what we anticipated to be going on for anyway. So, um, but yeah, we've definitely filled, uh, filled our time. Well, I'd, I'd say, but, uh, but it's been, um, it's been a pleasure having you on mate. So, um, so, so thanks again for, for joining. It's been, it's been great to, to have you on, on this version of the podcast. And again, thank you for, for me coming on to, to your podcast as well, but, uh, long may the sort of the, the collaborations continue and I'm sure it's not the, the last time we'll appear on one or the other or, speak for certain but uh but um for anyone who might not know ben um where can people find you and also the podcast um across your social media channels yeah uh, firstly it's always a pleasure to uh always have to have you on uh, back on tanked up um so yes we are tanked up i uh am nova underscore 47 nova underscore 47 uh, almost everywhere um normally um you'll find me kind of lurking around twitter um, but if you want to play some playstation games or something like that i'm there mm. uh, as well uh, we are tanked up cast on twitter on instagram um and tanked up cast in your podcast service of choice or on youtube as well so you can see our beautiful faces and all the beers that we pour and drink whilst we discuss uh, games every week uh i have had quite a big a uh, break from Instagram and, and the socials, apart from the standard um, uh, automated post when I, <laughs> when I put the podcast up. 
just because I've been so busy mm. with work and having the wife and Littman here during, uh, during lockdown as well has just destroyed my time completely. Yeah. Um, so I've had a bit of a break from sort of the Instagram. I did try and pick back up for a little bit. It was probably about a two-week period where I rushed through some posts um, on the on the Tanked Up Cast uh, account. But hopefully um, I'm actually going on holiday on Wednesday. Um, I say going on holiday. I'm not actually going anywhere. <laughs> I'm just having some time off from work. So it may it may lean me back into doing some more social posts, uh, um, putting some more things up. And um, it's always worth, you know, dropping by the Tanked Up cast, either Instagram or Twitter, to see what we've been playing, the beers that we've been drinking as well. Uh, or if you, you know, if you're into your games and you want a little bit more content from a, a wider a uh, group of people, you can come to outoflives.net, which is where um, the Tanked Up podcast is hosted uh, and where I do a little bit of written work as well, uh, occasionally reviewing games or just putting my opinions and thoughts out on various games or developers um, kind of on a, on a weekly, fortnightly basis, depending on, again, how busy work <laughs> is, um, which is, which just sort of determines everything in life at the moment, yeah. I think. Unfortunately, when you're self-employed, that is the biggest driver for things. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Tanked Up is uh, is weekly. Um, and as I say, you can find us in your podcast service of choice. Yeah, perfect. Lovely stuff. No, I can obviously, from, from being on myself and uh, as, a, as a listener before a, um, a guest, I can I can certainly recommend the uh, the podcast for, for both gaming and craft beer opinions because it's a nice to have the, the sort of the harmony of the two because it's not like you do one podcast for one thing and one thing for the other. You're, you're all sort of avid craft beer drinkers with a sort of good insight into different styles that you all seem to drink. So no, it's, it's, it's a good mm. listen. So I do wholeheartedly re- recommend it and uh, keep, keep doing what you're doing because it's um it's a great listen so uh but yeah but uh but thank you thank you again for for being on and for anybody who isn't following me by now i'm points underscore of underscore brew on both instagram and twitter um so thank you thank you for listening most of all um it's, it's good to to see, keep getting your feedback on people that are listening to the podcast um if you've got any questions comments anything at all please send them to me on my either my instagram account or twitter account but if you want to send anything direct then i do also have uh, an email address of points of brew at gmail.com but ben thanks again it's a pleasure and i'll speak to you soon but everyone else that's been listening thanks and i'll uh, i'll speak to you again soon thank you very much mate cheers everyone